Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, 1045 The Zone's nonstop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is the Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Ryan A. Mudd, behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. Say it every night. Blessed beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. I hope that this show finds you and yours doing as as good as could possibly be. And certainly my DMs are always wide open at Jmart Zone for a faith-based conversation. A lot of you have taken advantage of that, and that's a, a blessing to me to be able to have a talk with you like that. If not me, I hope you find somebody in your world, someone in your life, that you trust to engage in that chat with. So it's funny. I sit there and I look at Ezekiel Elliott going to Mexico today and not being at training camp for the Dallas Cowboys. And I know we've talked about this some, but it continues to be the story. It's not just holdouts. Dudes hold out every year. And most of them know that they're going to end up going to camp and they're going to go and they're going to play and you're not really going to miss them. But over the weekend, the two stories that sort of dominated in the NFL, injuries and suspensions. We had Taylor LeJuan, then you had Golden Tate and quite a story about a fertility drug from Golden Tate. Four games out right now, but he's appealing. And I actually read that and thought, you know, he might actually, this one actually almost makes sense. Like I could almost buy this one. But the Giants getting snake bit, losing three wide receivers, basically, on the first two days of training camp. They've got a rookie quarterback in Daniel Jones, who they took very high. Eli Manning, whatever is left of him, until Daniel Jones is ready to assume it. And then you've got Saquon Barkley, who's going to get the football about 7,000 times because where else is it going to go? I mean, who are you going to throw to? I know you have to field 11 dudes, and you're going to put receivers out there. But, I mean, they've got an injury risk at tight end and Ingram, and then they've got receiving trouble on top of receiving trouble on top of receiving trouble. But back to Zeke. The other story is, and Melvin Gordon and and a couple of other guys, running backs are trying to get paid. Le'Veon Bell got paid. Melvin Gordon doesn't have any leverage. Phillip Rivers said things that I, I believe people took out of context because they just took the final sentence as opposed to the 25 seconds that came before it. And I'll parse that for you here in just a second. Ezekiel Elliott may be the one guy I would want to pay because I don't think that Dallas is the same without him. If I'm Jason Garrett, I am praying that they pay him because I look a lot smarter when Ezekiel Elliott is on the field in a Dallas Cowboys uniform because maybe I know I'm not that great without him. 
If I'm Dak Prescott, I want Ezekiel Elliott because he is quite a safety valve. But the bigger issue is, and I'm going to go through history here. I did this this weekend, and I kind of just went back, and I'm just going to start in 2010, but I think I could go back further than that. 2010 Super Bowl. Saints, Colts. Which one of those two teams was paying heavy for a running back? I'll wait. Neither one, right? And I might get one or two of these wrong because I don't even remember some of these running backs, and I didn't look them up individually. 2011, Green Bay-Pittsburgh. Packers win at 31-25. Who's paying big for a running back that year? 2012, Giants over the Patriots, 21-17. Was that one where somebody was paying big money for a running back? Do you know those two franchises to be ones that have historically paid big for running backs? 2013, Baltimore and San Francisco. Lights out game. 34-31, Ravens win. Who's paying big money for a running back that year? 2014, here's an example for you if you want to go the opposite direction. Seattle, 43, Denver, 8. A Super Bowl I would probably like to forget. Marshawn Lynch, I can actually point him out to you. 2015, New England, Seattle. New England, paying for a running back? Seattle, Marshawn Lynch again. 2016, Denver, Carolina. Was that game about the running backs? 2017, New England, Atlanta. Was that game about the running backs? Who was paying big money for a running back there? 2018, Philly and New England. Philly did pay Jay Ajayi, but how big was Jay Ajayi ultimately? And then this past year, New England against the Rams, and the Rams, of course, paid $57.5 million on an extension to Todd Gurley, who basically was not available to them late in the season and most of the playoffs and has an arthritic knee. My overarching point here, is that over the last 10 Super Bowls, point to any statistic that shows that paying running backs ends up with you winning a Super Bowl. Ultimately, that's what you're playing for in sports. Go back through this again. 2010, Saints-Colts. What do you remember about that game? You remember Drew Brees. You remember how they opened the second half, Sean Payton getting ballsy with it and it paying dividends. And then you remember Peyton Manning. 2011, Aaron Rodgers versus Ben Roethlisberger. 2012, Eli and Tom Brady, part deux, going through hot shots here. 2013, Baltimore is a team that you think about, you know, you think about Jamal Lewis and you think about them running the ball, even with Ray Rice. But generally speaking, Flacco was still kind of the guy that got him there. And then on the other side, it was this young superstar by the name of Colin Kaepernick who had made it okay, which would happen right after this season, for Alex Smith to go away and to go elsewhere. If you remember the Aloe Black commercial that they were playing at the time, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, it was Colin Kaepernick and it was Russell Wilson. And it looked like they were the two young futures of the NFL. One of them would go on to hold on to that title. The other one would be known for other things but he would still be pretty good at the time he was there. And then other things happened that we won't get into 2014, Seattle, Denver. I already talked about Marshawn Lynch, but what were both of those two teams known for? I know you have Peyton Manning. I get that with Denver. That's a quarterback, not a running back. First of all, throwing two wide receivers that you would know, as opposed to running backs in that situation that you would know as household names. Seattle had Marshawn Lynch. Like I said, they also had Russell Wilson and they had an incredible defense 
the Legion of Boom, Chancellor and Sherman and Thomas and all of the, that crew. And that's what that team is most known for is Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, and then that defense. New England and Seattle, the year after that, you remember the play in the end zone where they did not give it to Marshawn Lynch that may have cost them the game, but it's Tom Brady on the other side of the field. 2016, Denver had Peyton Manning, but that was the year he was kind of falling apart. Brock Osweiler played some games for them and ended up getting paid as a result. And on the other side, it was the Carolina Panthers, Cam Newton's best season, but they had a dominant defense. That was basically Cam Newton versus Vaughn Miller, if you had to break it down to one versus one. 2017 was a Patriots-Falcons game where, again, yeah, you had two guys running the football that sort of mattered for Atlanta, but were you paying them big money? The answer was no. I already talked about Jay Ajayi, but that was the Nick Foles game, not the Jay Ajayi game. It was Nick Foles versus Tom Brady, a 41-33 classic. And then this past year, it was New England. Julian Edelman's the one that you knew about along with Tom Brady. And then with the Rams, again, they paid big money and they lost and didn't even score a touchdown in that game because they didn't have a quarterback. This is a quarterback's league. Paying for a running back usually backfires. As a matter of fact, it gets more and more scarce as you even go back further. This is not 1992, 1993, when Emmett Smith held out for a couple of games. They lost them, and then he got his money. There are not a whole lot of bell cow running backs to be found. Most of the time, it is a platoon situation. New England usually has multiple guys that can run the ball, but it's not because they paid big money. Who's the last big-name running back that they actually paid some money to and grabbed? I think it was Corey Dillon, right? Outside of that, what do they do? What does New England do more often than most teams in the league? They draft running backs. They've done it multiple times in the last handful of years. They are continually looking for talent that they don't have to pay because they're going to get a running back on a rookie contract. And so you look at the example of Todd Gurley and you look at Ezekiel Elliott and you see some similarities there in that Elliott can look at Gurley who set the running back market with a exorbitant amount of money that was paid in that $57.5 million extension that Elliott wants more money than. Those two teams have something in common currently, but they're about to have something else in common, and that is quarterbacks that are no longer on rookie deals where strategy plays in much more than it did before. Goff's not making big bucks right now, so you can afford to pay Gurley. They still didn't have enough money to pay Roger Saffold, who they didn't want to lose, who's now going to be on the Titans offensive line, great in the locker room, and really helping, and even more important to Nate Davis and some of these other guys in helping them learn the NFL game with Taylor Lewan out for the first month of the season. But the Rams had to benefit because they didn't have to pay a quarterback to give Gurley his money. He's not going to finish that contract with the Rams. He's not, because they're not going to be able to afford it. Zeke right now, Dak hasn't been paid yet. He wants an extension. In a quarterback's league, you're going to pay him unless you think he's flat out not worth anything on the open market, which is not the case for Dak Prescott. I think he's average, but I still think they're going to end up paying him. And you have to pay Amari Cooper because you gave up a first-round draft pick to get Amari Cooper last year. But Zeke is looking at it from the perspective of 2.35-year average for running backs in terms of the longevity of their careers in the NFL. He's looking at Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper what money they want, but he's also looking at Gurley and he's looking at a similar situation where he has a window right now to try and get paid. Then that money can be assumed down the road somewhere else if he were to leave. 
who's the best player on the Cowboys? It's Zeke by a wide margin. Who else do they have? The problem for them is the Patriots kept drafting running backs. The Cowboys didn't. Cowboys have Zeke and then uh, is Lance Dunbar still there? I don't know. I, I don't have the roster in front of me, but the guys behind Zeke ain't Zeke. That's the problem for Melvin Gordon is the guy behind Melvin Gordon is Austin Eckler, who averaged over five yards a carry last year. Back to Phillip Rivers' comments. Phillip Rivers' comments that were played, usually they're played about seven seconds worth of about a 35-second answer. And this is real important. Just because you want something to sound bad so that you can have a, a segment of radio content around it does not mean that what you're doing is legitimate. So they would play this part where he talks about how we love Melvin, but we got a lot of guys behind him that can run the ball. That's the gist of it. That's not the direct quote. But what he said before that is instructive. He talked about how we have to field a team. We have to put 11 guys out there, basically, is what he's saying. There's going to be somebody running the football for us. He's not going after Melvin Gordon and saying he's not worth money. He's not talking about his contract situation. What he's saying is, we love Melvin Gordon. We'd rather have him on the field, but if we don't, we do have guys that are going to run the football behind him that we believe in. That's basically saying, hey, Austin Eckler and the other dudes on that roster that might be called into action, we believe in you. That's just saying that. It's not saying anything negative about Melvin Gordon. Nothing at all. I think that is the biggest nothing burger you can find that was quoted and overplayed all weekend long is that Phillip Rivers is burying Melvin Gordon and saying don't pay him. Where exactly did you hear that? If you need a headline that bad, then talk about what I'll talk about in the final segment and do that off the lead of your show. Don't manufacture stuff to create 30 minutes. Phillip Rivers was not burying Melvin Gordon. All he was suggesting is if Melvin's not here, we're going to have somebody else that does his job. That's what's called fact. That's just purely stating something that's true. Philip Rivers said nothing in 35 seconds. But if you take seven seconds out of context, then it sounds very, very different. Another guy that claims he was taken out of context in audio was Tyree Kill. When we come back, we'll talk about the latest surrounding him and what in the world was Kansas City doing not being prepared for the obvious questions that were going to come and Tyreek Hill's answer, that ain't good. We'll be right back. This is the big six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. To the calls. 36 years ago today, if you want to feel old, July 29th, 1983, to be exact, National Lampoon's Vacation hit theaters. Griswold's first ride headed to Wally World. One of the great comedies of all time, in my estimation. Kind of a quest film in its own right. Remember, I actually referenced it last week saying that Marcus Mariota reminds me of the amusement park that you want to get to because, oh, it's going to be really cool and he's going to be really good and all this kind of stuff. And then you get there and the park is closed for renovations. And that is him not being on the field and or being inconsistent and just how sad you are. And at times you end up just punching that moose in the face, not suggesting punching Mariota in the face. And he, all reports are, I, can, I haven't been able to get to camp yes, yet so far. A lot going on in my life, but Wednesday I'll be there for the first time. And some good reports, especially today, about how Mariota looked quite sharp. Not great in the first day, but the offense has been improving over the past couple of days, so that's good. I'm looking forward to getting out and getting a look at it myself. Also, next segment, 
We're going to give away a pair of tickets to Wednesday's Nashville Sounds game. Why are we giving away tickets to Wednesday's game? Well, you will have the privilege of watching me, your humble host, throw out the first pitch at that game. I got to go practice. I talked to Coach Dave McGinnis, who had a double scholarship at TCU playing football and playing baseball. And I told him, you know, I really don't think I've thrown an actual baseball in about 15 years. And basically said, I don't want to tell you your business, but you need to get out there and practice first. And I already know this because I know people will be there and I know technology exists and I can't have this be something that I have to live down for the rest of my life or am unable to do so. But it'll be fun on Wednesday. I'm looking forward to being out there at First Tennessee Park. But we'll give away a couple of tickets in the next segment. We'll do the same thing tomorrow here on the Big Six. So check us out. Tyree Kill. I got three pieces of audio for you I'm going to play. Tyree Kill, who was suspended from team-related activities, and the Chiefs then turned around and used the second-round draft pick to get McCole Hardman out of Georgia, thinking maybe Tyree Kill wasn't going to be back to work ever. In a Chiefs uniform, who knew? Because the story was pretty heinous. The audio that came out, which you've now found out some of it might have been excluded, but it still didn't seem good. It didn't seem good for Tyreek Hill, and it did not seem good for the woman in his life either. And there's there's conflicting reports as to what happened, but remember he got kicked out of Oklahoma State because he kicked her in the stomach while she was pregnant with the child that then he was accused of beating and saying on the audio, you know, she tells him, that her son is afraid of Tyreek, and Tyreek says, yeah, you need to be afraid of me too. Insert descriptor for female dog that I am not going to use on this program. But he's back. He showed back up at Chiefs camp, and there were fans that were chanting for him and saying welcome back and all this kind of stuff, which is a interesting look. But when there was no investigation and no charges pressed, you had to think, well, he's got to be allowed back because there's nothing – attached to this anymore the nfl is not equipped to do this investigation if the authorities are not going to charge him then why would you tell him he could not go to work so i understand why he is there but i don't understand the pr staff and those that tried to train tyreek hill for what he was going to say when he was asked the inevitable questions but i got three pieces of audio for you the first one is just tyreek hill who was happy to be back on a football field for the kansas city chiefs I can't wait for my new journey, man. I'm, I'm excited. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm working every day, you know what I'm saying, to be a better father, better person, better, better, a better citizen, a better teammate, you know what I'm saying, and a better son, too, you know what I'm saying, to my parents. So I'm evolving every day. So, I mean, something that stood out to me, you know what I'm saying, my mom, you know what I'm saying, as I was going through this long process, my mom told me, you know what I'm saying, people don't need to change, they need to grow, you know what I'm saying? And you think of a tree, a tree changes and a tree grows every day. You know what I'm saying? My mom told me that, Rick, you need to grow. You need to you need to add layers to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Because if a tree grow, it doesn't go back. You know what I'm saying? So I want to grow. I don't want to change. I'm trying to grow each and every day of my life. That's laudable. I will say the same thing about Tyreek Hill here that I said about Zach Smith during the Urban Meyer situation, which is I don't think that you need to evolve to know that hitting a woman's not okay. Now, there are differing opinions as to disciplining a child. I know this, but I also know the reaction to Adrian Peterson when that audio came out, and I know how things are generally seen today, how they're viewed today. Second piece of audio. This is Tyreek Hill talking about the incident where he had punched his son 
potentially in the chest, which is one of the things that came out on the tape that Crystal Espinoza released. And here's what he had to say about that incident. Punching my son in my chest, that would probably refer to me teaching my son how to box. Because uh, we do got um, boxing gloves at, um, at our house. And our son, like, he's like Iron Man. So he loves Iron Man, Aquaman. He's like, Daddy, come on, come on, come on, all the time. So that's, that's what it is, man. And, you know, sometimes things get thrown out of context, you know, when feelings get involved and emotions. But I ain't going to get into all that right now. Ryan, can you play that one more time for me? I'm going to give you a second to get it back there. I want to hear that one more time. Here's his response to why he might have been punching his son in the chest. Punching my son in my chest, that would probably refer to me teaching my son how to box. Because uh, we do got um, boxing gloves at, um, at our house. And our son, like, he's like Iron Man. So he loves Iron Man, Aquaman. He's like, Daddy, come on, come on, come on, all the time. So that's, that's what it is, man. And, you know, sometimes things get thrown out of context, you know, when feelings get involved and emotions. But I ain't going to get into all that right now. Tyreek Hill's son is three. I liked, you know, superheroes and things like that. I can't look back to when I was three as to whether or not I was fully conscious of all the things that I liked. I know that now it's Baby Shark and things like that. Luckily, Tyreek Hill's son was not a Baby Shark fan or Tyreek Hill might have actually consumed his head because that's what sharks do. They eat you because apparently Iron Man punches. Iron Man wasn't a boxer. First of all, but I'm not going to get into the nuances of the superhero genre. What I am going to get into is that's what you're going to say. Oh, punching him in the chest. Oh, it happened. But we were just, I was teaching him to box. You're teaching your three-year-old son to box based on superheroes that were not boxers. I mean, not boxers at all. I don't think I've ever seen any photo at any point in time. I'm sure you can dig it up in a comic where maybe Iron Man wore boxing gloves at some point. Never happened in the films unless it's just totally blanked out of my memory bank. Aquaman, also not known for his pugilism. This is the kind of thing that, what are you talking about here? He's three. Oh, punching him in the chest. He, he was always asking me. He was always asking you to punch him in the chest and box with him at age three? I'm not even saying that Tyree kills totally wrong here. Like, this could actually be true. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like the answer that if I'm working for the Kansas City Chiefs, I tell Tyreek Hill, oh, yeah, that's the excuse. Yeah, you you just punch him in the chest because that's what his superhero friends did. But he's talking about how he wants to grow and he wants to evolve and he wants to learn and all this. And all of that sounds good, and I hope that it is a million percent true. And I'm not going to say that it's not. I am tending to become less cynical. I'm having to train myself out of pessimism. I suggest you try to do the same thing. It's a long process, believe me. I'm nowhere near close. But just trying to look at things where the glass is half full instead of half empty because there's so much of the opposite out there, and it's just toxic, and it's not good. It's not going to make you feel good. It's going to make you see the worst in your neighbor and everybody else, and it's just not a great way to live. There's a difference between being a sucker or being gullible and just being somewhat optimistic and not assuming the worst of everyone. So I don't know that what Tyreek Hill is saying here is incorrect, other than the fact that it's totally incorrect that that's what you would say in this situation. One more clip for you. What has Tyreek Hill learned from all of this? I've learned to um, to just appreciate, you know what I'm saying, those around me, man, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like I take that for, for granted sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Being a professional athlete, you know what I'm saying? I, I tend to, like, not stay humble sometimes and 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, I still love my kids and I still love my family. You know what I'm saying? But I, sometimes I feel like I take all of those things for granted. Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy said this to the AP. He, meaning Tyreek Hill, is an intelligent kid. He picked up right where he left off. He's doing a heck of a job. I assume that just means as a football player. I mean, Tyreek Hill is an incredible football player. That team is not the same without his speed. The fact that they drafted another speedster and another superb athlete in McCole Hartman is not going to be a bad thing. It's just going to make them that much more dangerous. I know that Tyreek Hill has a checkered past and a tough history. I have not been able to forget about the Oklahoma State situation. I don't know that I ever can. It's going to be the first thing I see in his bio. When I see Tyreek Hill, I think of that incident. And this one still rubs me entirely the wrong way, but I also understand why he's on the field for the Chiefs. I don't know what choice they had at this point because he's not in jail and he hasn't been charged with anything. I still feel like I need a shower every time I look at this story, and I cannot believe how unprepared I guess the Chiefs PR staff had Tyreek Hill to have him, oh, well, let's excuse away this this audio by saying that you were just punching him in the chest because he always asked you to do that when you're playing Iron Man versus Aquaman. That one doesn't fly. We'll be right back. We'll give away some sound tickets here on the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So- Which, I mean, that could be worth the price of admission all by itself. Also, it's 2019 Faith Night. All Wednesdays, it's Faith and Family Worship Nights. There's a worship service before the games. Ryan Stevenson will be playing some music before that game. Sounds versus the El Paso Chihuahuas. And first pitch will be at 7.05. I don't know if that means my first pitch or the first pitch of the game, but somewhere around 7 o'clock is when I'll be doing for it. Be caller number five right now to Ryan Mudd, who's behind the glass ready to field your phone calls at 737-ZONE. That's the context line, the contest line. Don't call 737-1045. Call 737-0663 right now. 737-0663, the fifth caller, will get sweet tickets, a pair of sweet tickets to Nashville versus El Paso Wednesday night at First Tennessee Park. Should be a fun time and hope to see some of you out there. When you're looking at the season, the upcoming NFL season, which is not that far away, I was just baffled earlier when a couple of people in the building walked up to me and told me that the first Titans preseason game is actually next Thursday. And that's absolutely right. Like, we're almost there, folks. I mean, football is, it's here. I mean, camp's already started. Florida State's sending out terrible tweets that you can't understand what they're trying to do. I'm not a math major, but I don't think anybody understands what that tweet meant saying that there's this many days until Florida State football, and there's a dude wearing a number 15 jersey, and then there's a number four in the background for some reason. Neither one of those numbers is is good. And there's actually 154 days from right now. The season is over. So I don't know what any of that is. But Florida State's social media, if you need a job, write to them because they've been struggling for a while. But I go to Football Outsiders and I look at DVOA. The simplest way I can describe DVOA, I've said it before, but it's the one metric that I think is the best when you're evaluating talent in the NFL. Passer rating is trash. QBR is trash. Looking at total yards given up by a defense is the worst possible way to evaluate a defense. This is common sense. But Football Outsiders does a fantastic job. And so they put the QBR here, and they look at some of these other metrics, but the DVOA, 
which sounds like a you know something you wouldn't understand. It means defense adjusted value over average. And as your eyes roll back into your head, mine did as well. But what it basically means is there is an average number. How good is said player above what an average player at that same position would do in that same situation? So in whatever situation third and seven might be, is your quarterback better or worse than what the league average would be dictated to be? And so that's where I look to get information. And last year, and I actually have it right in front of me, on July the 11th, 2018, maybe 10 days into my show, I did a list of six. And I did a list of the six most overrated people in sports. It was Gruden. It was Harbaugh. It was Paul George. Got that one wrong, I think. Tom Herman. John Wall. Herman, you might say I got wrong. I don't think you would disagree with me on John Wall or Harbaugh or Gruden, at least to this point. And then there was a sixth guy. And this, this is a prove-it prove year for Marcus Mariota. And we're talking about Marcus, and we're talking about Jameis Winston, who might never get a chance to start again if he can't get the job done this year down with Bruce Arians. And you're looking at Dak, who's trying to get paid, and you're looking at some of these younger players. What's Baker Mayfield going to do this year? Is Lamar Jackson going to prove – he can actually be a quarterback long-term. There's a number of different ways that you can look at this. But I'm going to take it to a different place, and I'm going to read what I kind of wrote down last year when I was putting together this list of six about the number six guy. And I think he is in the most prove-it year maybe of all of these guys, except you could put Mariota there because he's trying to figure out if he can get paid or not. Jameis you can maybe put there too. But this guy I think gets overlooked. And again, the list of six most overrated persons just means the hype exceeds what they actually do. It doesn't mean that they're terrible. Because this guy is by no means terrible. 4,900 yards a couple of years ago. Guided the Redskins to the playoffs a year before. Had a horrible interception in Week 17 against the Giants in 2016 that cost the Redskins a playoff spot. He's got a good arm. He's confident. I'm a real fan of him and his attitude, but the last time that he stepped up in the moment was never. He hasn't even really had a moment, but he's never really stepped up in a big situation. He had a pretty friendly offense in his last place in Washington. I mean, he's thrown 99 touchdowns. Before last year, he'd thrown 99 touchdowns to just 55 interceptions in a six-year career. 65% completion percentage. But they paid him a huge amount of money to go be a savior that was going to be significantly better than Case Keenum was for the Vikings. And that's a Case Keenum that took them within an eyelash of the Super Bowl himself. So considering all the money that he got, what did Kirk Cousins do last year? How much better was he? Well, that team didn't make the playoffs, folks. That team that got Dalvin Cook back, that still had the defense and the defensive mind of Mike Zimmer and has the best tandem wide receivers maybe in football with Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Great route runners, great hands, seem to be very good dudes as well. Would make the tough play, both of them would. But Kirk Cousins still wasn't able to take them to the playoffs. And with the money that he was paid, I think at some point he has to start showing that he's worth that money, right? And so that's where I am when I look at footballoutsiders.com and I look at DVOA and I say, okay, well, where does he rank DVOA? Because he threw last year for 70% completions. 
That's really good. He threw for 12 yards shy of 4,000. Just 10 interceptions. Not terrible. But where where is he against average quarterbacks in all of these different game situations? Folks, he is number 19 in the NFL. He is just 2.7% better than C-level quarterbacking in the NFL, according to situational football. Who's above him in DVOA? Mahomes, Breeze, Rivers, Ryan, Fitzpatrick, Goff. And this isn't just guys that played. It's guys that threw at least 200 passes. Brady, Roethlisberger, Luck, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Baker Mayfield, Jameis Winston, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, and Nick Mullins. All of them are higher rated in DVOA than is Kirk Cousins. To me, when you look at Mariota and you look at Jameis Winston, you look like it, you look at Andy Dalton, you look at these guys that are trying to figure out where they're going to be, whether or not somebody's going to commit long-term money to them where they are, if they're going to have to go somewhere else, or are they going to be a starter somewhere else? Is Jameis going to get a second opportunity to be a starter, or is he going to be a backup for the rest of his career? Is Mariota going to get franchise tagged, or is he going to get let go, or is he going to get extended? What's going to happen? Kirk Cousins is number 19 in DVOA. Did not take his team to the playoffs last year after Case Keenum had in, had them in the conference championship game a year before. And he got paid. He was the belt of the ball. He was the prize at quarterback last year. That was the big story. Where is Kirk Cousins going to land? That's why I had him as overrated last year. Because I didn't understand the hype behind Kirk Cousins because I'd never seen anything on the field other than he's pretty good. But he's also inconsistent, and he's never been placed in a moment where pressure really mattered. The few times that he had seen pressure, he threw a hideous interception or he did something that cost his team, didn't benefit his team. And so the Vikings broke the bank and brought him in to be the savior. And I would suggest that he was a failure last year, that that team might have been a failure, that there's going to be some overhaul done if they don't get something done this year. And you look at the rest of that division, Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. Stafford has great arm talent. Trubisky, we'll see, but it doesn't really look like it. But they have a great coach in Matt Nagy, I believe, and an unbelievable defense. And then you look at Minnesota. They seem to be right there. They were a year away. Oh, they're going to be in the Super Bowl the next year. They're going to be right there. They weren't even close, folks. Kirk Cousins, number 19 in DVOA. You want to talk about the obvious names as show it to me this year. Put up or shut up situations. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that Kirk Cousins, he might be the top of that list. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. NFL officials to emphasize offensive holding in 19. That's what we we need. We need them to emphasize calling holding penalties because nothing is more fun than holding penalties, considering there's holding that you could probably call on every single play. This from the article. Offensive holding will be a significant point of emphasis for NFL officials this season raising the possibility of a spike in penalties as players adjust to elevated rule enforcement. Existing rules on holding will be more strictly enforced this season, particularly on the backside of the run play or line of scrimmage. Referee Adrian Hill visited the Bears training camp today, said the league is trying to eliminate the lobster block where offensive linemen grab defenders around the torso or shoulders to prevent them from flowing to the play 
from the backside. So they're trying to legislate some stuff out of the game, but now they're just going to look at offensive holding tougher than they have in the past. So we're probably going to have more flags, at least for a while, holding penalties because there aren't enough of those in pro football. It's an inconsistent call a lot because it depends on what you see and what you don't see. And there's a lot of nuance to what is holding and what isn't holding. I don't know how that's going to go. Usually more rules is not a good thing. This boggles my mind. A 16-year-old from Pennsylvania over the weekend. His name is Kyle. I think it's Gearsdorf. Might be Geiersdorf. We'll go with Gearsdorf. He was crowned the first ever Fortnite World Cup champion. He says, words can't even explain it right now. I'm so happy. Everything I've done, the grind, it's all paid off. It's just insane. Harrison Chang, who calls himself Psalm, came in second place. And then a third player whose handle is Epic Whale finished with 32 points. So why am I talking about Fortnite on this show? It's a game I've never actually even played. I downloaded it, and then I realized, oh, I'm not going to be very good at this. So I didn't even bother. The reason I'm talking about it, and I was thinking back to Fred Savage in The Wizard, if you remember when we first got a look at Super Mario 3 for the first time, lost our minds when we saw the raccoon suit or the raccoon tail attached to Mario and him being able to fly. You know, I played video games a lot as a kid. I worked at GameStop as a store manager for years. It's been a large part of my life. It's kind of gone by the wayside. I think we might be done here. But you can make money doing this, folks. Because this 16-year-old boy, Kyle, took home three million bucks for winning this Fortnite World Cup championship. The guys that finished in second and third took home $1.8 and $1.2 million, respectively. Over $30 million in prize money was awarded during the three-day Fortnite World Cup event. How many people played in the World Cup before it was whittled down? The Fortnite World Cup was entered by 40 million people. And so they played online, and then 10 weeks later, the field gets narrowed down to the top 100. Every one of the 100 that played in that kind of three-day span took home at least $50,000 to play a, I don't even know what's a first, I think it's a third-person action. There's shooting involved, but there's other stuff as well. It's, it's what's called a battle royale game, and there are a lot of others out there also. The World Cup had a duos tournament. That's not even included in the $30 million. That's a separate tournament. And then there was also a competition between pros and celebrities and something called a Creative Trials Team Square Off. $30 million in prize money to play this. And in the first, I think, 24 hours that it was available, it was streamed over 2 million times by just an audience of people watching it. And it's still going up. This is not me being an old man. I'm just blown away by how technology has changed. We've gone from Halo on the Xbox with a local area network and people playing Madden in tournaments for $100,000 to 
people making more than NFL signing bonuses to win a Fortnite World Cup tournament. A 16-year-old, he says, words can't even explain it right now. I'm so happy. Everything I've done, the grind, it's all paid off. It's just insane. Does he even realize how much money he won? He sat around probably in a recliner somewhere, got good at Fortnite, and then probably joined some local league or something. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of grind involved. I'm suggesting that that is a ton of money for playing a video game. Ridiculous amount of money. Speaking of ridiculous amounts of money, should you pay running backs? I got some stats for you. Let's make you smarter on the way out the door. You heard how I opened the show. Well, here's a thought from Scott Kazmore of Football Outsiders. Of the last 20 NFL rushing champions, only five advanced in the playoffs at all. Five of them missed the playoffs entirely. Only two reached a conference title game, none since LaDainian Tomlinson in 2007. And of those 20 NFL rushing champions in the last 20 seasons, zero of them, zero, won the Super Bowl. You can't pay for a running back, folks. It's 2019. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. Fast Talk is next.